0: And welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 147. Trump's banning of TikTok is a violation of the First Amendment. Well, news just came across today that September 18th, 2020 that the Trump administration is banning TikTok in the United States. It's going to start pretty soon with not allowing anyone to download TikTok or new versions of TikTok if they already have TikTok. And then uh, in November, it will proceed to an outright ban on TikTok. Now, it just so happens that I'm teaching a course, Freedom of Expression, in the graduate program in the Communication and Media Studies Department at Fordham University. And just last night, via Zoom, foreseeing that something like this could well happen, because I realized that when a few days ago it was announced that Microsoft, an American company, would not be Purchasing TikTok from ByteDance, its Chinese owner. But instead, another American company, Oracle, would be in a partnership with ByteDance regarding TikTok, which suggested that ByteDance would still have an ownership and even preeminent role in TikTok. When that was announced a few days ago, I realized that here we had a potentially big First Amendment issue brewing a violation of what is known as the public's right to know. So I talked about this in great detail last night. I'm going to play you the audio recording of just me talking. No student questions or anything, so everyone's privacy will be respected. So it's just the lecture part of my class last night. It's about 25 minutes or so. The sound quality, as always, isn't the greatest, but I think you'll be able to hear everything. And then after that lecture, I'll have a few more things to say. The Light on Light Through podcast. I always join anything that I can, anything that'll happen. That's why I joined TikTok. But um, I was therefore especially interested in what happened with TikTok. So, to give you a little background on this first of all, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company that is a company. That's, whose headquarters are in mainland China called Byte Dance B-Y-T-D-A-N-C-E. And they started a very successful operation that has another name. Some of you may know what it is. I, I never really focused on it in China, but pretty much um, on the success of that, they opened up TikTok here in the United States. And it's been doing very, very well. You know, people get tired of Twitter after a while. They get tired of Instagram. I don't know. TikTok has the durability of Instagram and Twitter. It's still a little too soon to tell. But TikTok has been grown by leaps and bounds. And one of the things we've already talked about in this class, and again, everything is sort of interconnected, is that apropos of right to peaceably assemble, many of those demonstrations have taken place outside of Trump rallies. And this goes back to 2016, when there wasn't COVID. Now, when there is COVID, you know, demonstrations in general become more dangerous, not to mention that the people who were inside at one of these rallies, they're not in the safest condition. As I think I mentioned, somebody who ran for president in uh, 2012, attended Trump's Tulsa-Oklahoma rally a few months ago and caught the coronavirus and died, you know, very sadly. But there was something else about that Tulsa-Oklahoma rally. It didn't have that many people. I mean, there were enough people for this poor guy to catch the virus and get sick, but it was not in any way packed. And the reason that it wasn't packed is the people who organized the rally on behalf of Trump thought that it was already packed. They thought that everyone who uh, was going to come had, you know, basically reserved the seat and they couldn't give anybody any more seats. But in fact, it was not at all packed. And it was one of the most poorly attended rallies in the whole history of Trump's campaign. It's very easy to manipulate digital data and make it seem that a lot of people are signing up, reserving to come to the rally when in fact they're not. And it turned out that the reason that there were so few people uh, at the rally, not enough, sadly, to protect uh, everyone's life from from getting the the deadly virus, but um, more than enough to make the rally an embarrassment for Trump. So Trump never said this, but I think there's no doubt that Trump's animus towards TikTok came from that. Trump hates to be embarrassed. He prides himself on drawing huge numbers of people to his rallies. I have no idea if this is true or not, but I'll just hazard a guess. He cares far more about his rally being poorly attended than he does about somebody who lost his life at the rally. I don't know that for a fact. It's just a uh, surmise on my part, but I think it's a reasonable assumption. Because shortly after that, you know, TikTok had been around for a while. Suddenly, Trump and some of his supporters began making noise about TikTok, that it's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? not because, you know, they spoofed Trump's rally. It's dangerous because the Chinese are the ones who own it. And to understand that, this relates to COVID in yet another way. Although most people, and in fact, every medical authority and professional researcher who have looked into the matter, don't think that China did anything wrong it wasn't China's fault that the virus originated in Wuhan province Uh, but if you listen to Trump he still calls it the Chinese virus that's a kind of propaganda constant repetition exaggeration yeah it initially started from China doesn't really matter where these things start you know the Spanish flu actually started in the United States, but people keep calling it the Spanish flu. It's not really fair to Spain. But um, Trump has had it into the Chinese for a while, and he thinks that the Chinese are working against Trump's re-election. If that's the case, good. You know, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. But uh, Trump obviously isn't happy to hear that, and he has been wanting to in some way or another stick it to the Chinese government, crack down on them. And this event, or for the most part, non-event in Tulsa, Oklahoma, gave him the final push. Uh, And so he began saying, we have to do something about TikTok. It's owned by China, you know, COVID virus originated in China. I'll say something, I'm pretty sure they didn't do it deliberately. You know, that kind of like faint statement, which all it does is raise suspicion. And by the way, there was a report yesterday from a Chinese scientist, someone who claims to be a Chinese scientist. Her Twitter account was, however, suspended because apparently she is an unreliable witness. She has claimed, and she was on Fox News last night, that the Chinese were deliberately developing the COVID-19 virus in a lab. She is the only one who thinks that. And again, medical authorities, you can tell biologically by looking at the nature of the virus, whether or not it was spliced together, you know, in a gene splicing way that it was artificially created or whether it naturally evolved. I'm not a biologist, but I've looked into this a little. That's a very accurate test. And a lot of people look, have looked at the virus and it looks like a natural virus. So with that in mind, Trump began blustering. We, we may have to shut down TikTok here in the United States. And you know, when I heard that, it was like a dagger to my heart because I wouldn't have been able to break out my dance moves on uh, TikTok anymore. Obviously, a lot of people enjoy TikTok. They began to get upset about it. The next thing that happened is it was announced that Microsoft was offering ByteDance a deal to buy TikTok. Now, here's where we get to this very interesting First Amendment issue, which I was going to talk to you about anyway. And as I'm increasingly saying to all of my classes, One thing I have to thank Trump for is he constantly is doing things which work perfectly in with the curriculum of the class and give a great example of what I was going to talk about. So if I ever write a book about Trump, I'm going to thank him for providing so much good material. And what I was going to talk to you about anyway, sooner or later, is something called The Public's Right to Know. Now, I told you a little bit about it in my email. First of all, does the phrase the public's right to know appear anywhere in the First Amendment? The answer is no. That phrase does not appear in the First Amendment. So what does it have to do with the First Amendment? Well, pretty much Ever since the First Amendment was written and enacted, people have been debating, wondering, inquiring into the question of what is it ultimately that the First Amendment is trying to protect? Now, it says, Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech or press. So clearly the First Amendment is protecting my right and your right to speak. Or the right of people to peaceably assemble, which we discussed tonight and we discussed last week. Clearly the First Amendment is protecting that. The right of people to peaceably assemble. But what about not getting in the way of not interfering in any way with freedom of the press. There have been some people who have uh, made the point that the protection that is afforded in freedom of the press ultimately is a protection not for the press, but for the American people who depend upon the press to find out what's going on in government so that we, the American people, can make an informed decision during an election. And as a matter of fact, throughout the time. That's an interesting proposition, isn't it? That ultimately what is being safeguarded in the First Amendment are not the media, they're not the ultimate objects of... and and intended recipients of the safeguarding, it is the people who rely on the media. That's what's known as the public's right to know, that Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of the press because we in America have the right to know. But now you run into a very, I think, interesting question. What do you do? With a report that's available, for example, at first, only on the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company. Does the First Amendment protect the BBC's capacity to broadcast here in the United States? Some people have argued... No, because the BBC is press. It's part of the press. But how could our Constitution have anything to say about a United Kingdom medium, the BBC? But there are other people who have argued that, well, it doesn't matter where the information comes from. Since the First Amendment ultimately is supposed to protect the public's right to know, the First Amendment would therefore protect the BBC's right to broadcast here in America. Because were that interfered with by our government, we, the American people, would be deprived of that right to get that information that the BBC is providing. Now, let me just mention that today, in the year 2020, and for at least ever since, just off the top of my head, we went back to the dawn of radio in the 1920s and 30s. Ever since then, anything that's broadcast on the BBC, even if they're not available here in the United States, is going to be picked up by CNN. NBC, Fox News, the New York Times, etc. So the example that I gave would have been much more pertinent in an age where there wasn't instant worldwide communication. But the question still remains, are Americans, by virtue of the First Amendment, entitled to receive whatever the BBC is broadcasting to us? What about Radio Moscow or whatever the name is of uh, the Russian broadcasting system? They might be broadcasting something that's complete propaganda. Do they have the right to broadcast in this country? Well, If you believe that the First Amendment is protecting our right to know anything that we choose to know, then the answer would be yes. But if we interpret the First Amendment as protecting the media, then the only thing it could have relevance to is the conglomeration of media that are already here in the United States. So before I ask for your opinion on this, let me just sort of round out this story. Had Microsoft purchased TikTok from ByteDance at the instant that that purchase was completed, then this question, this conflict between the public's right to know being protected and the media themselves being protected would have no longer been an issue Because Microsoft is an American company. So Trump could not have done anything against TikTok because Trump would have been doing something to restrict, prohibit, punish, whatever it is he had in mind uh, about TikTok. But he would be doing it against an American company if Microsoft had owned TikTok. By the way, I'll get in a minute to whether TikTok is a news medium, but let me just finish this part of the story. But what happened was, that would have solved the problem, but what happened was ByteDance turned down Microsoft's offer and instead decided, and this is their word, to quote partnership, unquote, with another American company, Oracle. And it's unclear to just about everyone what that means, partnership. It sounds like Oracle will be helping ByteDance develop TikTok more effectively in the United States. That seems to me a lot different than Microsoft buying TikTok from ByteDance and then doing whatever it wants with TikTok in the United States. So today is September 17th. Uh, We have under 50 days between now and the election. Trump has more important things to worry about at this point than TikTok. So it's unclear what, if anything, Trump is going to do. Is he still going to lash out at ByteDance because they still have an ownership interest in TikTok? and try to ban TikTok in the United States? Or is he going to use the partnership with Oracle as an excuse not to follow through on his threat to shut down TikTok? One uh, other point before I ask for at least some of your opinions on this. You, in effect, are the Supreme Court in this class. I'm just a humble person who's coming before the court presenting to you the sides of of the argument, but it's for you to decide. The TikTok issue also partakes of something else that we've touched upon a little and we're going to touch upon again. First of all, no one knows exactly what the people who wrote the First Amendment, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, and their supporters had in mind when it was passed. It's not unreasonable to think that all they had in mind was political discourse. It's not unreasonable to think that they weren't considering entertainment. The Supreme Court in the United States in 1915, in Ohio versus the Mutual Film Company, ruled in 1915 that motion pictures back then were not entitled to First Amendment protection because they were a form of entertainment. And they, the Supreme Court back then, were distinguishing between motion pictures as a form of entertainment and the press, which they saw as a medium for expression of political opinion. Finally, in the late 40s and early 50s, the Supreme Court reversed that. So it's unclear what Jefferson and Madison and Monroe thought. Probably they weren't considering entertainment. I don't want to talk about this now, but pornography, which we have talked a little bit about, we will talk a little more about it later tonight if we have time. Pornography figures in on this issue at at another part of the issue because it's more than entertainment. It involves and entails issues that are more than just entertainment. But the point of pornography is it too is not political discourse, expression of political opinion, even though there might be political opinions that support or don't support it. But in and of itself, it's something that it makes money by providing people with fun, with pleasure. So in that sense, whatever you might think about it morally, it's arguably a form of entertainment. So that's why I'm mentioning that, just making that connection. But as we'll see, as soon as we finish talking about this issue, and as you already know, because we began to talk about this last week, George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words routine, they had political valence. That is, they had political aspects. You know, what words can you say and can't say on, on radio and broadcast and television? But... Primarily, they were entertainment. People listened to George Carlin because he was a comedian and because what he said made them laugh. And, you know, if you think about George Carlin riffing on these words, why you can't say them, and then explaining why you can't say other words, I don't know, you can say the word ass. A man who came down from the mountain with two asses. You know, You know, so that presumably is funny. It's not particularly profound, but... That's what George Carlin was trying to do. So we've already been introduced to entertainment. So I would argue, and we can talk about this later as well, but just to sort of finish up the TikTok thing, yeah, TikTok is not political expression. It's a kind of entertainment. But if we agree that entertainment through media is a kind of speech and press, and therefore it needs to be protected, and by the way, the press did provide entertainment. One of the issues we haven't talked at all about, what do you do about novels like Lady Chatley's Lover, which what we would in movie parlance call have X-rated scenes, explicit scenes, that those novels uh, and the Tropic of Cancer, which was pretty much a horrible name, I thought, for another, what could also be called a pornographic novel, Courts have by and large ruled that they are protected by the First Amendment, and they're purely entertainment. So does TikTok, this digital medium, is it entitled to First Amendment protection? I think that it is, and we will return to the evolution of the First Amendment vis-a-vis entertainment as soon as I hear from you. Not every one of you Supreme Court justices but just a sampling as to what you think of what I just laid out for you regarding Trump and TikTok. The Light on Light Through podcast. Paul Levinson back here with you on September 28th, the day after that lecture that you just heard, the day that Trump indeed did issue a ban on TikTok that will take place in November and much sooner, not allowing anyone to download here in the United States the TikTok app. Actually, that was issued by Trump's commerce secretary, but consistent with Trump's threat to ban TikTok if it was not taken over by an American company. Now, I thought you might be interested in some of the student responses to that lecture, which I hope you found of value. One student asked, why did I think that China turned down Microsoft's offer, knowing that Trump was going to ban TikTok? I think the Chinese government was trying to stick it to Trump. I think they're sick and tired of Trump's blaming China for the COVID pandemic. Obviously, there are other disputes between our countries or between China and President Donald Trump. And so I think the Chinese were saying they're not going to in any way try to mollify or placate Trump. And so they did want some American involvement with TikTok. That's why they made that partnership deal with Oracle, but they didn't want to just outrightly sell it to an American company. Another student wondered if I was concerned about the fact that it's been alleged that China has been using TikTok to mine data on Americans. And as a matter of fact, most of the social media, Twitter and Facebook, have been accused of various kinds of data mining, providing information to potential advertisers, not foreign governments like like China, but it's the same sort of thing. Well, my response is, I think that our government should investigate that, and these companies should be punished if they sell data about us to advertisers or anyone. But that doesn't mean and it doesn't justify a banning outright of TikTok, which again, I think Trump is doing because he is angry at TikTok because of what they did to his rally in Tulsa. Not TikTok per se, but many of the users on TikTok. Speaking of that, my wife mentioned to me Sarah Cooper, who you have probably heard of and so have I. She's done some hilarious videos mocking Trump. Those videos have been disseminated widely, but first and foremost on TikTok. So, Sarah Cooper's videos could well be another reason that Trump is so angry at TikTok and ByteDance and wants to punish them. Well, I'll be back here soon with another episode of Light On, Light Through. Might be political, might be another review. Uh, There were just two new episodes on last night of Raised by Wolves. But one way or another... I'll be speaking to you soon again here on this podcast. In the meantime, enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at ThePlotToSaveSocrates.com. Paul Levinson's Silk Code, about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.